Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to PR360 Podcast. Uh, with me, we have a great guest this week, and her name is Prakruti Nadendla, and she's a seasoned social media and communications professional with experience working with B2B, B2C, and nonprofit organizations. Prakruti excels at crafting effective and creative social media strategies to target any business objective the organization requires. She currently manages the social media program at Enterprise Community Partners, an affordable housing nonprofit, as senior social media manager. Is there anything I missed there, Prakruti? I think you got it. It's so funny to hear myself being spoken about in the third person, but, you know, I'm here for it. (laughs) It's it's what you're going to have to deal with as an (laughs) up-and-coming professional in in, in the world of media. Um, So... Just getting into things here. Uh, so as a social media manager of Enterprise Community Partners, what's the ultimate goal of your social media strategy? Like, are you trying to build partnerships, promote the brand, build community connections? Like, who are, who are you speaking to specifically? Or are you just kind of trying to talk to everybody? Well, in, Enterprise is such an interesting beast in that, and, and this is, this when I talk to people uh, when I entered the organization last year, because I I'm what people would consider a relative newbie. I'm less uh, less than a year in, um, and I'm working with folks who are ten plus years at this organization. So you know, enterprise has got some legacy. And so the thing about enterprise from a social media perspective and um, a social media strategy perspective is that we've got many different types of audiences because we do many different kinds of work. We are in some cases, you know, we work in affordable housing, but we work at it from so many different angles. We work in policy, we we influence policy and le- policy and legislation and the audience for that is very different from our residential audience because sometimes we're also property developers. We have right. an arm called enterprise residential. Um, so the audience for that is going to be totally different to our solutions work to our capital work where we work with in- institutional investors like Wells Fargo Bank of America, JP Morgan and Chase. So the goals shift based on that. Our audiences um, are varied, but I would say overall, one big goal that we have and that we incorporate into our social activity is uh, to just promote enterprise and the work that we do. A lot of that audience will go to uh, institutional investors to show, okay, this is the impact of your investments, but also it goes to um, our our employees. It, it also serves as networking opportunities for folks in the affordable housing field. So that is one big, um, I would say, bucket. Mm-hmm. The Another one is managing partnerships. As I said, we work with big institutional investors, but we also have many other partnerships within um, our green communities work within um, so many other areas. So managing those relationships, managing those partnerships is a big part of what we do as well. And brand, I would say like increasing brand recognition, industry leadership. Um, we've, 
we, along with LISC and National Low Income Housing Coalition, we kind of are some three big names in the affordable housing space uh, in the nonprofit world. So increasing, I guess, our industry leadership uh, on social, making sure that we are in front of what we can be. Uh, for example, in the policy space, uh, when Biden announced his budget proposal recently um, and, you know, being kind of in front of that and uh, having words to say about that, you know, from Twitter, like mm -hmm. being really on top of the ball. Um, and for another example is uh, Congress's omnibus spending bill for 2023. Chiming in on that on Twitter and being really timely about it is really important. So being in front of uh, relevant moments like that on the social platforms where it makes sense is is a part of what we do. Another example is, um, and this has kind of been a really fun and interesting experiment too, um, using strategies from like, it's what they call brand Twitter, bigger brands. Mm -hmm. Like for example, memes. Memes are, you know, I think every social media manager, every social media strategist knows that memes, using memes for brands can be... Um, it's more of an exercise of what not to do or when to pull back versus when to go ahead. And I think that's where a lot of the uh, social media brain comes in. That's why I do what I do. And that's why I'm here for my team. Um, but doing it so when it's appropriate, we recently released a meme you know, the Pedro Pascal, the last of us meme that has been really going around, we did one for affordable housing. Um, and the, and the copy said when the, when a nationwide housing crisis literally still exists mm. and it touches on every aspect of not only, um, affordable housing, but also the frustration, the <laughs> touching on it with a little bit of humor, the frustration that many folks who work in this field feel when they are doing this work because yes it's very real yeah so what's the most successful meme that you've created so far in the social media space with, with enterprise <laughs> i would say we're still pretty new at memes we're, we're being you know uh not cautious but we're waiting in when it feels appropriate and i would say the pedro pascal meme has been pretty um pretty successful because um, just from the way that our audience has really responded to it, they understand the humor behind it, but they also understand the sentiment behind it, that it is not yeah. just a funny little bit, that it really touches on these uh, very real emotions and frustrations. And um, ultimately, it is all about the residents and getting people access to affordable housing who need it. Uh Let's see here. What struck me as interesting from earlier, what you were saying is that doing your job, it's not just here's our brand message that we're pushing. It requires you being on your feet and being reactive in real time to what's happening in the world around you, whether it's government action uh, or, you know, uh, sentiments that are going across the Internet in terms of like such a hot button issue like affordable housing. Absolutely. It's it's a big part. I would say any social media professional would tell you that um, being on on the button like that is part of the job. But especially, as you said, with real world actions in, in policy, legislation and in, in just cultural sentiment, that's that's it's a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, how do you 
create audience engagement with a nonprofit? What what are the and and also what are you looking for uh, specifically? Um, maybe specifically from people who are looking for affordable housing who want that versus uh, a partner that you're dealing with or or a bank or something. Um, what what's uh, how how do you deal with just random people that are you know want a roof over their head? Right, and and we're not always going to be the the um the right partner to help in those direct cases. Um, because again, as I said, enterprise is kind of an interesting beast and in that sometimes we are a property developer, but also often we are kind of the middleman. We are making sure that the money from in- institutional investors goes to the right places. So in those instances, we um, try to direct people where uh, it can be most helpful for them. But I would say in terms of creating audi- audience engagement on socials with a nonprofit, um, I really focus on the core issues um, as well as really maintaining enterprises' uh, voice and tone mm. and really keeping that in mind whenever we talk to folks on social. Um, core issues being affordable housing as a nationwide issue, um, that the housing crisis is not only a persisting problem, but it is a nationwide problem. Um, and that affordable housing should be accessible and available to those who need it. So all of those points inform our messaging when we try and create audience engagement content. So to pivot a little bit, you have some experience with podcasting, and from doing some research, you have uh, some experience in podcast marketing. How does somebody grow a podcast in a landscape where I think it was somebody I was speaking with at Spotify the other day? He might have been he might have been exaggerating, but sometimes it feels like it that there's like. 800,000 podcasts out there, which is great for listeners. You get to choose everything. <laughs> uh, but unless you have a really unique idea, A, well, I mean, there's multiple problems, right? Uh, it's getting right. Your, your stuff in front of a potential audience. And then it's also cutting through a crowded market space. So what have you learned over the time when it comes to marketing podcasts? Oh, man, you are so right in that there's so many podcasts out there. Um, and... I think depending on the space that you enter, it can be really, really crowded or just really crowded. So when it comes to, at least just from my um, experience, building a podcast and building, um, just trying to cut through that saturated market, Mm -hmm. we were really fortunate, I would say. So my podcast is about Webtoons. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't know what Webtoons are, they are a type of vertical scroll online comic, webcomic. So yeah. typically, instead of being like a, you know, page to page format, you just scroll it. So it's optimized for your phone or like a tablet or something like that. Um, and, and they're really, really popular often with a younger audience. But um, we, I really got interested in webtoons as a, as a form of storytelling and comics really is what they are. Um, and my podcast partner was also totally on board. And I think we were fortunate in that the the online space, if you think about manga mm-hmm. and how saturated the the manga podcast space is, there's like a manga podcast everywhere you go. Um, probably the same for anime and, you know, probably the same for TV and film. It's, it's so crowded. Yeah. Um, so I think we were really fortunate in that the Webtoons space was not as crowded. Uh-huh. But I think... Yes. So that, that was in our favor. And we knew that we were walking into kind of a small pond. Um, but I will say that, 
And, and, you know, I think we both know that there's drawbacks to that, right? Like if you're walking into a small pond, there's only so much you can grow, but we were okay with that. And so I think you've got to assess the, the pros and cons of, of that kind of decision whenever you're trying to build a podcast, um, and you're assessing your audience with it and as well as your particular niche. Um, but in terms of like cutting through that saturated media landscape, this is also, I would say that this advice is probably helpful across the board, regardless of what niche you're in and getting, and that is to get really, really clear on the value add, um, getting really clear on your value that you bring as a podcast. What, what is your particular specialty? What is your, um, what kind of content are you making and what kind of appeal does it provide for your listeners? For us in particular, um, there were other Webtoon podcasts, so there was, it's not like there was no one out there, but we knew that no one was creating the content and the kind of analysis that we were. Mm. Um, we There's a lot of fan content, people like fan... Uh, fanning, like standing, squealing over different aspects of the webtoons, just being like, oh, I really love this. I really love this aspect. But we chose to really hone in on the analysis, talk to the, our audience like they are the, um, for lack of a better term, because I don't think this is even the right word, but like they're adults, like they're yeah. mature listeners, like they're really critically thinking through the content that they consume. And that is, that is how we like to consume our content. And that is how we like to talk to our listeners. And no one else was doing that. And that was something for me, it was really important to do that, especially in a space where there are so many younger um, readers. It's important to critically think through your media. And that that is a value that we wanted to espouse in our content. And um, if once you getting really clear on your, your, um, the value your content provides like that, uh, and getting clear on your voice too, I think can go a long way. Well, you know, I, I like that you said that, you know, you're kind of taking something that's a comic, but you're taking it very seriously and talking to your audience like they're adults. And I think anybody, even, uh, I'm not to, not to disparage the medium, that kind of comic medium, uh, but maybe even if you talk about something kind of hyper-seriously, like even too serious, people take it, you know, if someone's going so far as listen to a podcast, they're very serious about it. So even yeah. though it's uh, humor, right, M- much of it, or even though it's, you know, kind of fun storytelling in the comic kind of way, which people tend not to take as seriously, but they should, right? And, and you're, you're, you're treating it on that level. So I, I love that. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've had mild success uh, at this type of thing where I found I was the only person that did a podcast on the uh, Eastern spirituality on a topic called Taoism. And mm-hmm. there wow. was nobody doing it. And I, was, I just wanted to hear a podcast on Taoism and I couldn't find one. So I said, I might as well make one. And it wound up being very successful. And I thought, wow. I thought when I first started, I said, you know, if I get 200 subscribers, I'm going to like... I'm gonna. I'll, I'll be over the moon because I don't think anybody cares about this stuff, but me. But I ended up getting like five thousand subscribers and like nine hundred thousand downloads, and it was like, wow. I, I'm not trying to brag. It was just this idea of like, no idea there was an audience out there for that. So I tried to repeat the formula uh, with a podcast on the history of Marineland, which is a um, a theme park it was out here in Los Angeles uh, that was bought up by SeaWorld and closed in the '80s, and. Um, I thought also very niche, like no one else is doing that. And guess what? Nobody listens. It's a complete bomb. So, you know, 
I will say this, in that small pond, maybe it's a deep pond, maybe it's not a deep yeah. pond. But yeah. I'm proud of my work. But anyway, I, yeah. I, I thank you for your, your, your take on podcasting. Um, another thing about podcasting, someone told me recently I thought was really interesting. Someone was like a podcast consultant. Mm-hmm. And she said that the, the, lots of times people try to promote podcasts on social media and mm-hmm. they don't, it doesn't go as well because uh, it's not, you're not necessarily talking to podcast listeners, right? In your right. field, I'm sure everybody uh, also who who is into that type of comic book is probably someone hyper into media to the point where they also listen to podcasts. So that might, might be a good, good, that might, Go, go against the rule I'm trying to prove. But she said the best way to market a podcast was to get it in front of other podcast listeners, you know, um, yeah. doing kind of promos on on similar things where you're talking to people who are listening to podcasts. Um, so uh, to pivot a little bit, thank you so much for your, your info on that. Uh, what are What's the difference in some of the strategies you use for social media because uh, previously you've worked in the tech sector for a tech company versus a nonprofit, or is there a difference? Well, it's a really good question because it's something that I've been trying to answer myself, um, uh-huh. and I've been learning myself as I uh, work with enterprise community partners. Um, as you said, because my previous experience, a lot of it has also been in tech. I would say that at the core, when it comes to creating um, a social strategy for any organization. Um, it comes down to what your organizational and business goals are. Um, so I would say on, on that level, there's not a huge difference, but I would say that maybe the differences come in more so when, um, you're, you're thinking about some of those goals because mm. for tech companies, a lot of what you'll run into there is a product marketing through social. So there's a product that you need to elevate. If you look at Grammarly, if you look at Notion, um, so many other uh, SaaS companies, and even if they're, uh, even with consumer companies, there's a product at the core of your social media strategy. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the same for nonprofits. It could be in some spaces, but not always. And the other thing to that I definitely came across when it came to um, nonprofits versus tech and consumer was um, the inclusion of politics and advocacy mm. that you don't always run into. Um, one of the nonprofits that I worked with prior, we were able, We there's a certain license, it's, the name is escaping me, but there's a certain um, label as a nonprofit you get to have when you have the ability to speak uh, about politics. And mm. the an enterprise doesn't currently have it, so we stay pretty partisan um, uh, or, or nonpartisan. nonpartisan. I forget. Yeah. Is nonpartisan. Whoops. Uh, we stay nonpartisan, um, even though we uh, obviously have colleagues who work in policy. But um, that was kind of an interesting difference just from like a um, – just from like a social media management perspective. Hmm. Nice. Uh, and as somebody who uh, works in social media and has done so in various capacities, what's the toughest thing about being a freelancer in this space? Uh, or is it just, you know, the, the same as being a normal employee? Are there trade-offs? What's, what's the deal? I think there's definitely trade-offs, even though I will say I really enjoyed my time freelancing, but 
you you're kind of a visitor in some sense. It depends on how much ownership you are given of um, of that organization, social media, um, or because sometimes it's a partnership. You're working collaboration with somebody um, who is more in house. Sometimes it is like you're given full ownership. So I think that can be a really exciting thing. It can also be maybe um, just more fluid in terms of freelancing versus being in house. Because right now. I own every aspect of the social program at Enterprise Community Partners. But if I was a freelancer, maybe I would be tasked with, you know, daily publishing. Maybe I would be tasked with content creation. Maybe I would be tasked with um, strategy and then kind of leaving it there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's a lot of variety in freelancing, which is really exciting because you get to dictate the services you offer. But it could also be a real con in that um, it's just... It's not as stable and consistent with with being in house with enterprise. I really, I feel like every day I'm immersing myself more in this organization, more in the work that we do. I'm learning more about it, um, and you don't always get that perspective as a freelancer, being really immersed in an organization and learning about right. the topic. Yeah, definitely. And you know, sometimes there's definite barriers where they don't want to give the freelancer. Uh, That's enough well. leeway to kind of do your job the best you can, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I and those I would say were probably not ideal clients. So I hope if you're freelancing, you have um, a client that does allow you that uh, creativity and freedom. But you know, not everyone does. It's that's the truth of it. Yeah. Uh, so last question and. What is something uh, that people who work outside of social media don't understand what you do? Because I'd assume maybe maybe you have a parent, maybe you have a grandparent, and they say, what do you do? You just post on Facebook all day. That's what normal normally people do for free. Uh, what's something people don't know? Yeah. I'm not saying that to be insulting. No, no, but it's so all. real, though. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Um, and it's not just like family and people, you know, in your in your personal life, but it's also people at the organization that you work at. Sometimes mm. um, not everybody is, you know, and I and I totally understand why, because they're not living, you know, my life. Even um, my team members are not going to see what I do every day. But um, I would say that you know, if someone in a different department, if someone um, in my own personal life is like, I don't understand why social, like, what is social media as a job? I would say maybe a big general misconception is, um, or, or like maybe a lack of understanding of, is the amount of time things take. Mm. Just things take a lot more time than you expect it to. Even putting up a post as simple as that, you know, in, in, in our everyday lives, we're like, oh, we'll just tweet something out or like, oh, I'll put something on Facebook. But if we're doing so for a brand, there's just added responsibility, right? Not just to make sure that everything just looks right, feels right, um, that the copy reads um, optimally and, and it's just really snappy and concise, but also accessibility. There are responsibilities that we have as a brand that we need to adhere to. And that takes time to re- to to put together in a responsible way. I, I would say that that's it. And in addition to the time and intention and thoughtfulness that goes into 
even a single social media post um, and, and even a social media plan. Uh, like, you know, someone may have seen the Pedro Pascal meme that we put out and been like, oh, haha, that's funny. Or like, oh, that's, you know, that's really cool. But it took, you know, 30 minutes of back and forth with mm-hmm. me and a few other people. Like it, it, it that stuff takes, takes time. And it, and there's a real genuine um, effort and heart put into, put into everything. Nice. Well, you know, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show, Prakruti. And uh, could you please let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can follow you, uh, where they can learn your uh, hot comic talk? Uh, <laughs> let, what's what's going on? Where, where do we follow you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at PVNaden, um, at P-V-N-A-D-E-N. Uh, and if you'd like, you can also follow me on LinkedIn at Prakruti Nadenla. And uh, you can listen to our podcast called The Webtoon Room on Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. And we're also on Twitter and Instagram at The Webtoon Room. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.